0: In this episode of the Contractor Momentum Podcast, I wanted to talk about some of the common problems that I see in smaller operations, typically $1,000,000 to $900,000 in annual revenue and below, and the solutions for solving those problems. Let's jump into it. Through the course of running my own business and now while well, investing in other residential service contracting businesses and running the podcast, the Facebook group, I've had a chance to work with and interact with a lot of other residential service contracting business owners and see their businesses and see how things work and perform in there. And one thing that is very clear is that at certain sizes within each type of company or at certain sizes in the home service industry for each company in there, there are certain problems that tend to exist and certain hurdles that people really need to overcome to get to the next level. So I wanted to talk about that here in this episode, specifically talking about companies around the $1 million a year in annual revenue uh, size. They're typically what I call key man operations. There's one key man, uh, typically at this size, an owner figure, that is calling most of the shots and has a very large influence over everything that happens in the company. And subsequently, I think I'm going to follow this up with doing a couple other episodes, at least one more episode, but I think we could probably break this up into three, maybe even four episodes in total covering the problems and solutions for companies at certain sizes as they go up. Because as I've said, there's certain trends and certain problems that we see in each company at, you know, rough valuations, or not rough valuations, but roughly at annual sizes, at annual, at sizes by annual revenue, etc. So in this episode, let's talk about the companies. Below $1 million, $900K a year, and below. What types of problems do they have? And, well, what can we turn around and change to fix those problems? Uh, typically, like I said, they're key man operations. One guy calling all the shots here. So the first thing that I notice is a lot of these companies that are below 900 k in annual revenue don't have defined services. There's no specific services that they offer and target. And if you listen to me, you know that I'm a very big fan of saying you need to have specific services that you target. This doesn't mean that you chop everything else off and you don't take it if it comes, you know, if it comes your way. But you specifically uh, need to have defined what you are targeting, what you want to sell, and what you are marketing for. And you'll notice this. At a huge level, even the big companies out there, the ones that are doing $100 million a year in annual revenue, the huge service contractors like that, they have specific services that they are targeting. If you noticed, all of their ads are laser targeting a specific service. And some of those big companies, they might actually only run ads for two or three services, even though they are capable of doing freaking everything under the sun. They've got the human resources. There's certainly somebody on the staff that knows how to do that service. But they actually only target with their advertising on the front end of things, just a small handful of services. And even in my company, which is far beyond the $1 million a year in annual revenue price point, we only actively target for services. We do other things if they come our way, but we actively target those services that we want and that we know how to sell and do very well. Now, subsequently with those defined services on the front end of marketing, Behind that, most of these companies also lack the standards for their projects. And when you think about it, if they don't have defined services, well, it's really hard to come up with project standards for everything under the sun. So for all of the defined services that need to be defined in a smaller operation, well, I shouldn't say smaller operation, larger operation as well, there needs to be specific standards for that project. What do you look for? What do your guys or your crew or your crew leader or your foreman or whoever is responsible for that project, what do they look for to ensure that things are completed to Standards so that customers are going to be happy and these things can be relatively simple But they're the types of things that people often overlook. I know in my company one of the things we have on basically every uh, standards sheet that we have project checklist that we do at the end is sweep of the area walk through with the homeowner customer uh, completed our project completion survey, okay Uh, Let's just say we do a lot of fastener replacement over pools. Sometimes fasteners end up in pools. So one of the things that we have on the checklist for fastener replacement is pool has been cleaned of all fasteners. Simple things like that, but you need to have the standards that outline it to make sure that this stuff happens. Uh, another thing that we run into in the screen enclosure business is the screen, the little kind of access after it goes in place, has been trimmed. Some guys will leave that stuff in place and get this little half-inch tab there. Well, the customer doesn't like that. And if they don't do all of them, uh, then the customer is gonna call us back and complain. So again, we have that on the checklist. We have the defined services, And then you need to have defined standards for these main services that you're targeting. And if you do that, what you'll find is that, A, your marketing is going to attract the customers that you want. You're going to be narrowing your scope of services so all of your referral base is going to be focused around those services that you want, your defined services, and you're gonna make more money on them because you've got the project standards in place. And subsequently, you're doing them more efficiently defined services, and then subsequently following uh, project standards for each one of those defined services is huge, and I just see this. It seems so intuitive, but I see it in so many smaller companies. I've seen companies that are doing a few hundred grand a year in revenue, and they are an HVAC contractor, an electrical contractor, a plumbing contractor, and they also do painting, right? And all they're doing is 500 grand a year in revenue. And when I speak to these people, I'm like, you do realize that each one of those trades, each one of those four trades is a $5 million a year business in any decent sized metro area. Yet here you are treading water on four separate trades. This isn't even defined services. This isn't even, you know, a multitude of defined services. This is four separate trades. I mean, heck, you might as well build a whole new house at this point with all these services that you're offering. But you've got all of them, and you're marketing four totally separate trades, not even defining services here yet you're only doing 500 grand a year in revenue, and I guarantee you there are a handful of companies out there in your same market doing one of those trades and $5 million a year in revenue. Which one's easier to manage? Which one is easier to get to a nice profit margin? Think about it. Obviously, sticking to one trade and more specifically, defined services within there. And I I just see this so much in companies below $900,000 a year in annual revenue they just try to go everywhere. And it's like, they're just clawing for all kinds of things instead of just focusing on specific services. All right, moving along here. They don't have field service management software. Look, if you are running a home service business in 2020, you need to have field service management software. And this is a program that allows you to input your estimates, save them, save all the customer info, schedule your crews to go out there, send invoices, stuff like that. You need it all confi- uh, confined in one place. So in one place, in this case, it's going to be in the cloud. That's where everything is. You log into it on your phone. They've all got apps. You got a, a browser, but you need field service management software. I see a lot of people out there that are running... You know, businesses kind of piecing together all kinds of weird things. I, I seen one company, an HVAC business for sale, and they were doing over 900 k in annual revenue. They were doing a little over $2 million in annual revenue. Uh, business had been in business for 50 years. It was a great, great business. And they had no field service management software. They used a, a kind of a pieced-together hack of QuickBooks, note cards, and then Google Calendar. Right, So they're kind of like piecing this stuff together to schedule their projects, and they're a decent-sized operation doing $2 million a year in annual revenue, and I'm looking at this going, wow, holy cow, look at the inefficiency here. If I were to take over this company, and I did make an offer on it, by the way, if I were to take over this company, I could implement a field service management software here cut all this crap out, start getting all of our customer information into a central point, because that's the other problem. Without field service management software, you don't have any customer information in a central point. And when you get to a certain size, you're going to want to use that stuff for remarketing and cross-selling. That's what a ton of the big companies do. So they don't have it anywhere in a central point, so I need to get this into a central point, and then I can start my remarketing and cross-selling process. Uh, I'll have everything in a central point, so everything will be more efficient, the field will get more efficient, and literally light this company up. right? So if you don't have field service management software... Uh, certainly go out there and get it. Uh, there's a few of them that I like. I'll tell you in my business, the exterior contracting business, Gulf Coast Aluminum, we use a product management or field service management software called KickServe. We've been using that since 2012. It's pretty good. I do think there are some other alternatives on the market that might be better. Uh, so I would also look to Jobber House Call Pro. And if you're in the HVAC space uh, or electrical or plumbing spaces, Service Titan is another good one. But again, that one probably isn't going to be for a company doing a million dollars a year in revenue or below. I'd say you'd need to be at probably three million or so before you'd really consider that. It's a it's an expensive one. The KickServe Call Pro and Jobber, those ones go for, I mean, they start at like $60 a month. And then if you've got dozens of employees, you'll probably get to a few hundred dollars a month, no more than 500, I would say. But now Service Titan. Uh, they charge a couple hundred. To my knowledge, I have not seen service tight pricing and haven't looked into it specifically in a couple of years. So I could be wrong, but let's just say they are more expensive than all of the others. And to my knowledge, they are charging 200 to $300 per user per month on it. So if you've got a company with 10 people in it, you're looking at a couple thousand dollars a month in field service management software. Uh, it's a great program. I know that, but it is certainly for companies that are on the larger end of things and are really gonna work with all the data that they can that they can get. You know, if, if you're a smaller operation, you're not gonna be able to work with all this data. And even if you're a large operation, I see a lot of people that obsess over data and gathering data, this is a tangent, I see a lot of large operations that obsess over gathering data, but they don't do anything with it. My philosophy on that is if you are not actively doing anything with it or using it to move a needle, there's no point in collecting or even looking at that data. But, uh, That could be a whole nother podcast on its own here. Field service management software necessary in any residential contracting business. Then comes employees, right? That's always a problem in every residential contracting business, any contracting business out there, commercial or residential. Employees, recruiting and finding employees. Well, one thing that really helps you find employees and recruit and maintain better talent is having an actual office. This is something that nobody really talks about. I've talked about in my podcast a few times, and I did a podcast with Louis Bruno of uh, formerly Bruno Total Home before he sold the company, and he had like 200 employees before he sold it, and we both started our companies. I started Gulf Coast Aluminum about the same time he started Bruno Total back in 2012, and we started running our businesses out of the house. We talked about that in the podcast, and eventually what happened is we had to get an office, and in my case... We literally got shut down. We were running this, you know, the business out of a three-bedroom, two-bath house. We had five trucks that we would park into the front yard. We had a stockpile of aluminum on the side. And we literally got shut down by code enforcement. They started issuing us a daily fine for operating a business out of the house. And that forced us to go get a real commercial facility. And man, was that a freaking blessing in disguise. Because think about this, the people that you want to work for you, they don't want to come to work for you at your house. They want to work for a business that shows their real business, they're a legitimate business, they're a trustworthy business, a business they are proud to work for and be associated with, a business that they are proud to tell their mother and father-in-law they work for. And that business operating out of your house is not that business they're proud to work for. And on the on the flip side of things here when it comes to actually hiring people, you know, the good people don't want to work out of your house and the good people, the great people that you do want to hire, or excuse me, uh, the good and great people that you do wanna hire don't wanna work out of your house, but you're going to attract the people that like working for an informal operation that know they can you know kind of get away with things and run the show and not follow any formal procedures, the ones that like informality are going to be attracted to your business that runs out of your house and has no office. So once we got hit with our code enforcement fines and we had to get into a real office, it was like a total game changer when it came to recruiting. We were now able to hire, retain the people that we wanted to. And, you know, if I, had, if I had to start another trades business from scratch, or if I bought a small trades business from scratch, day one, there would be a real office to show up to, right? It doesn't have to be anything fancy and glamorous, but, you know, get a small office for a thousand bucks a month in a, in a warehouse, um, you know, in an industrial park, it's going to be a total game changer when it comes to recruiting and hiring. Then comes branding and selling. Let's talk about that. It typically starts, or it doesn't typically start, branding starts in one of two ways as a residential service contractor, either with your website or with your vehicle wrap. A lot of people overlook this. So when customers see your website online, that sets a huge perception. They're thinking about how reliable are you? How trustworthy are you? Uh, what's your pricing going to be like? What's your timeline going to be like? Are you a low budget operation or are you the Mercedes dealership? right? Same thing when people see your vehicle wrap. Vehicle wrap's like a rolling billboard out there. A lot of people overlook this because it costs so much to get a vehicle wrap designed uh, and then printed, of course. You know, it can cost a few thousand dollars to get an awesome vehicle wrap designed. And then you're going to be at probably, if you're on a full-size van, you're going to be at $4,000 to get that thing wrapped, right? So it's not cheap. But so many people see it. And I can go into the mathematics and the impressions and basically what it boils down to is when you factor out how many people see a vehicle wrap going up and down the highway versus what it would cost you to get the impressions from some other marketing source. A vehicle wrap is an incredibly low-cost marketing tool. And then your website. And both of those build your brand. Both of those are kind of the first point of contact, the first impression for the vast majority of your customer base. Essentially, anybody that doesn't come from referral work is going to be touched by the vehicle or the website. So you need to have a premium vehicle wrap and a premium website in place. And this is huge. Think about this. When your vehicle rolls up to a customer's home and they see that vehicle wrap out front, suddenly, You went from, or you, you're well, you didn't go from, you could have, but compared to a chuck and a truck operation that has no vehicle wrap and they're just showing up out there with either nothing on their vehicle or magnets or maybe even just basic lettering, compared to that, a vehicle wrap is telling that customer like, all right, this company is the real deal. This is a legit operation and I am not going to haggle with them on price. I'm not getting a deal. They're not, I'm not getting a deal here. This company is going to fix it. They're going to get it done right. This is a legit business. I'm not going to expect a lowball number from this company. Same thing with your website. When they see a nice website, they expect that right up front. And, you know, this, set, well, it sets the perception and it weeds out so many of the tire kicker customers and it puts you on par with, metaphorically speaking, a Mercedes dealership. Right? Yeah, I always make this analogy. You can be a used car lot, or you can be a Mercedes dealership. If you're getting into the car business, well, if you're going to be the used car lot, you only need a couple hundred grand to start that up. You can, you know, you can go get some land on the shady side of town, low cost. You can plop a mobile office on it, get a few, you know, a few dozen uh, pre-owned cars, put on your used car lot. You're in business for a couple hundred grand. Well, if you want to be the Mercedes dealership, you got to spend. I don't know, buku millions, probably at least $50 million to get some premium real estate. You got to get a nice building and then, well, you got to get the inventory out there, right? So you're at, say, $50 million on the low end. Well, in the home service business, you can get a premium website and a premium vehicle wrap for, on the high side of things, twenty-five or $30,000 dollars. And then you are at that level of branding with a Mercedes dealership. That's that's why it's so crazy when I see people that think they don't need a premium website, they don't need a premium vehicle wrap, you know, because it's so low cost. In any other business, you have to spend millions of dollars to become a premium service provider. In a home service business, it's just ten few $10,000. I mean, it, you know, it's not cheap, but all things relative in the business world, that is very small money. Right, and a lot of the companies that are doing the sub million dollars don't have a lot of them, don't have a website. I've ran across businesses for sale doing two million dollars of revenue, and this is shocking. They don't even have a website, it's crazy out there. Now, going on with this, there is also the key man. As I said in the beginning of this, the key man or these businesses are typically key man operations, right? So there's one guy that is largely the general manager, operations manager, sales manager, handling all of these roles. And one trend that I tend to see is the key man, the owner, is poor with managing their time. They feel like they are running ragged. They are, you know, just constantly doing things. And at the end of the day, they look back on their day and they feel like they got nothing done. Managing time is crucial to getting beyond the key man operation, um, you know, and going into becoming a scalable business. And my tip for this, and I did a whole podcast on this, is chunk your week, right? So go through, write down everything you do in a week, literally go out there, write down everything you do in a week, make some notes on it, and then reflect on it, add to that list, and then start grouping these things together. What are you actively doing? And then assign a chunk of your day or week to getting these things done, okay? So, for example, I know that Monday morning we're going to have a ton of leads, so we or I prioritize handling my sales team and the leads on that Monday morning. Friday, I know invoices need to be sent out. So Friday afternoon, we handle the invoices that are getting sent out. Friday, I handle customer problems. Uh, and you need to chunk this stuff out and stick to it. Estimates take up a lot of time for key man operations, right? Well, set aside two or three specific days of the week. Maybe, you know, you alternate it. Maybe one week you do estimates Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Or, you know, and certainly break it down. So you might do estimates Monday afternoon, all day Wednesday, and then Friday morning. And then the following week you do Tuesday and Thursday. So when customers call in to schedule some type of estimate, You say, hey, I'm sorry, currently unavailable at that time, but uh, I can get to you Monday or I can get to you Wednesday. And you follow your actual schedule. Time chunking is the kind of official technical word around what I'm describing here. You need to make those time chunks and you need to stick to them. Another thing too is, you know, budget everything to get done during business hours and have some after working hours. In the early years of my business, and mind you, I've been in business, uh, what, eight years now at this point since I started my first contracting business there. And uh, it's not as long as some of you guys listening, but I know it's longer than a lot of you listening. But the first three or four years, I would literally run myself ragged working 24-7, all hours of the night, plus the weekend, doing things. And I do feel like that I passed up a lot of opportunities uh, or a lot of life events. And mind you, I don't have any family or anything. So those of you guys that have family can relate to this on a higher level than I even could because I was working all the time. Now... I set my calendar, I chunk my days, and I stick to that, and I am not working, um, at least not on my service businesses. There's some other things I like to do that are business-related and and such with contracting management that I do after hours, but on my service businesses or the contracting businesses, I stick to the specific hours, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., outside of those hours. I am not worried about anything that happens with those businesses. And if you don't implement some kind of rule like that, you'll run yourself ragged. And and by forcing yourself to stick to that schedule, you become more effective with your time. And you realize, uh, number one, what your priorities are, and you get those priorities done. Always prioritize your tasks. Like, what do I really need to do to keep my business in business? And you'll find that a lot of the things you do are not vital and not necessary. And then I will tie this everything back into the marketing and branding pricing. A lot of these companies below the $900,000 a year in annual revenue mark, their pricing is simply too low, right? So you need to price accurately. You need to price yourself in line. Once you have the branding, once you have the premium branding in place, it's easy to do this. Price yourself in line with the big players in your market. Obviously, you know, once they've gotten to a certain size, they certainly understand the costs behind doing business. You need to be charging yourself at those same rates because those same costs apply to you. While you might not have somebody on payroll handling or, um, what's the word, uh, accumulating those costs or allocating those costs or accruing those costs. Accruing is the best word to use in accounting terms. Well, you might not have somebody on payroll accruing those specific costs that a bigger company does. You're still paying for those at the expense of your time. It's a a huge misconception out there that small companies have less overhead and can charge less prices. That is total fucking bullshit uh, that is out there. If anything, bigger companies should be able to charge lower prices because they are more efficient. They've got better systems and processes in place. They have um, more experience and they can benefit from economies of scale. The, The notion that smaller businesses can charge lower prices because they have less overhead is totally false and completely bullshit. The reality is, That notion only exists as bullshit because small businesses don't know how to properly account for their costs that they're going into things. That's why that exists. So, uh, you know, get your prices up to the same price as the premium companies out there in the larger companies. They are charging those prices usually for a reason. Uh, And I I should make this deeper by saying you just can't always rely on the larger companies prices. If they're higher, they're higher. But you do need to fundamentally understand your own cost behind your services and budget for at least a 30 to 50% margin after, um, or 30 to 50% gross profit margin. Okay, so after materials and labor, you need to be making 30 to 50%. You know, the market and your own industry really determines what that is uh, in a specific service. Again, if you have defined services, going back to the beginning, if you have defined services, it's easy to define what your target margin needs to be for each service because you get experience doing that. When you're just going out there estimating and selling all kinds of stuff, well, you really have no clue what the target margin needs to be or what what your true costs are going to be in it. So uh, keep that stuff in mind, defined services, project standards. Field service management software, office, website, premium branding, uh, improve your time management, and get your pricing in line. These are all common problems, and I see these in basically every contracting business that's doing less than a million dollars a year in revenue. Common problems. That's how to fix them, guys. If you guys have any questions, comments, thoughts on that, look for the official post on this group, uh, the official post on this podcast in our Facebook group. If you can't find that official podcast, drop a new. Um, Drop a new post in the Facebook group in there and leave your questions, comments, feedback. I look forward to hearing from you guys.